0: I'm Lonnie Diane rich and this is How Story Works. We've been talking about character lately, and there's no way to talk about character without talking about the most powerful tool you have with regard to character. Talking. Dialogue, as a word, comes from the Greek. Dia means across, log means speech. So it is speech that crosses between people. Many people think dialogue means speech between two people, but that's not the root of dia. It's the root of duo. Duologue is speech between two people, and monologue is when one person keeps talking and talking and talking, is just her talking endlessly, droning on. You know, kind of like this podcast. Before we get into the details of dialogue, I want to start with four basic concepts that will help you build good dialogue. Dialogue as action dialogue as an expression of character, dialogue that is believable, not necessarily realistic, and dialogue as music and dance. First, we must remember that dialogue is action. A character speaks to effect change or evoke a response in someone. Very often, we as writers will use dialogue as a big exposition suitcase, and we stuff it full with every bit of information we think the reader needs or will ever need. We use it as an informational delivery system to give us a handy way to express all that world-building and character and history we've been working so hard on during our discovery phase. But that's not the purpose of dialogue. It shouldn't serve us as writers. It needs to serve the character and the story. This is not to say that you can't use dialogue to express exposition. You absolutely can. Sometimes you must. But in order for that to work, the dialogue must also serve whatever goal the character has in the moment. Exposition is best used like salt, sprinkled lightly over something that serves another purpose. In this case, action. Speech should be goal-focused. A character shouldn't talk just to talk. Every bit of dialogue should be moving us towards something. For example, in the television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, each week there's a new demon with new objectives, new dangers, new rules. That's world building. That's exposition. And it must be explained so that the viewer has some idea what's going on. We have two exposition fairies in Buffy. Buffy's watcher, Giles, who has the books, the knowledge, and the mad research skills. And Buffy's best friend, Willow, who is a whiz with computers and with magic. So typically, the bulk of the expositional work in Buffy is traded back and forth between these two characters. But because both characters are highly invested in helping Buffy kill the bad guys, that exposition also serves a purpose. Still, if every week all we got was Giles or Willow droning on and on about demonic details, it would quickly become boring. So the writers skillfully combine the exposition with whatever else is going on in the episode. In the Season 4 episode Pangs, we have a scene with three characters with goals. Buffy, who desperately wants to have a nice Thanksgiving dinner. Giles, who wants to figure out what's going on with a Native American spirit that's been threatening Sunnydale. And Willow, who has done the research and wants to express her outrage on behalf of the beleaguered Chumash tribe. Listen to the dialogue as we get the essential information, but sprinkled on top of goals within the scene. What's all that? Atrocities. We got the full poop on the Shumash
1: Indians in our fabulous buried mission. You said you were gonna get fresh ones. Atrocities? Peas? They come in little pods. You were gonna shell them? I, I didn't have time. I, I was busy reading about the Shumash War. The Shumash were peaceful? Oh, well, they were peaceful, all right. They were fluffy indigenous kittens till we came along. They're gonna be mushy. They won't be mushy. I like mushy peas. They're the reason we had had pilgrims in the first place. So what happened to the Shumash? How about imprisonment? Forced labor, herded like animals into a mission full of bad European diseases. Boy, Cultural Partnership Center really didn't stress any of that stuff. Not even a diorama. And it gets better. The, the few Shumash who tried to rebel were hanged. And, and, and when a group was accused of stealing cattle, they were killed. Men, women and, and children. And for proof to bring back to their accusers... They cut off their ears?
0: So who's wasn't kidding about the rightful vengeance routine. He's recreating all the wrongs done to his people. And that, my friends, is how you keep dialogue anchored in action and goals. Good dialogue is also steeped in character. If you find yourself writing dialogue that could be said by anyone other than that character, your dialogue probably isn't specific enough. Funny, smart, careless, or cruel, all the qualities of a character are conveyed through their speech. The words they choose and how they choose to use them. For instance, if you have a character who asks her boyfriend, does this dress make me look fat? Funny guy says, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over my panicked heartbeat. Smart guy says, it makes you look beautiful. Careless guy says, "Eh, you can wear something else if you want. And cruel guy says, no, it's your ass that makes you look fat. People are different, and so they are going to speak and respond differently. How people talk shows us who they are. Make sure your character's dialogue reflects the kind of person that they are. Remember last week when I was talking about character breaks and my Jonestown joke? If I had given that joke to a character, it would have defined that character as someone with a crude and insensitive sense of humor. It would have revealed the character to be, you know, kind of like me. But those characters weren't me, so I couldn't use that joke. There are subtle things you can do with dialogue to express character. You can use it to put the character in a certain age bracket, or living out of time with the modern world. If you have a character who uses terms like, that's swell, you're going to associate them with the time and culture that used phrases like that. It will either age them, or give them an anachronistic feel, depending on the era your story is set in. Dialect will give a character a sense of place and home. People who use terms associated strongly with certain parts of the world will put them in a time and place for the reader. If you have a character who uses phrases like y'all and I reckon, we're going to associate her with the American South, and that will fill in some expectations of who she is. There's an interesting quiz that's been making the rounds on the internet for a long time now. I suspect many of you have already taken it. If you're American, it will tell you what part of the country you grew up in based on the words you use and how you pronounce them. It could be really helpful to get you thinking about the characters you write and how they might speak. Link is in the show notes. Another thing to keep in mind with dialogue, and this is hugely important, is that you must ride the line between believable and realistic. This is also something you must do on a larger scale with every story you tell. We'll talk about that larger scale in a later podcast, but for now, let's focus on how this idea works specifically with regard to dialogue. Years ago, when I was taking a screenwriting class in college, my professor gave us an assignment to go out and eavesdrop on a conversation and write down exactly everything that was said, exactly how it was said, word for word, pause for pause, um for um. What I discovered during that exercise is that the way people actually talk is basically gibberish, People trail off, they leave thoughts and sentences unfinished, they talk over each other, they interrupt each other, and the better they know each other, the more indecipherable it gets, because a sentence half-finished means nothing to the person trying to get their homework done, but the best friend at your side absolutely knows what you were going to say and runs with it, leaving the eavesdropper behind in the dust. The value of that exercise is that you don't want your dialogue to be realistic. You want it to feel realistic, to be believable and yet understandable. It's a pretty tall order, and most people who struggle with dialogue struggle with this. People don't speak with perfect grammar and complete sentences, so you can't write dialogue the way you write prose. But the way people do speak is, as we've already established, annoying, hard to follow, and opaque. So how do you split the difference? Well, first, believable dialogue is casual. People don't tend to use $5 words when they're just talking. They just talk. They don't tend to use elaborate phrasing or complicated thought construction. Usually, it's simple vocabulary and casual construction. Note, I say usually. Some people do speak like this. People who are highly educated or raised in a culture that speaks more formally. People for whom English, or the language you're writing in, is not their native language. People who are trying to make themselves appear superior. If you're using big words and complicated sentence construction deliberately to establish who that character is, fair enough. Run with it. Just be sure that everything you do in your writing, you do deliberately, and that applies to much, much more than just dialogue. Believable dialogue is also meaningful. When something unusual happens, someone stammers or trails off, it should mean something. Often that kind of interruption of speech, when timed perfectly, can serve as a very effective vulnerability marker, as we discussed in episode 23, Writing Vulnerability. And the funny thing is, if you have a character who is socially awkward, who often stammers and trails off, but then suddenly she doesn't, that can indicate something significant, too. Remember how we said that change indicates meaning? When a character's pattern of speech suddenly changes, that's when the reader sits up and takes note. That's when they know something is going on. If you do this just to show that sometimes, you know, people stammer and trail off, that gives you realism, but your reader won't trust you anymore, and you're going to lose a valuable tool from your toolbox. In addition to action, character, and believability, great dialogue is like music. It's a dance between partners. One steps forward, the other steps back. Or sometimes one steps forward, the other steps forward, and they bump noses. The way people speak to each other tells us about their relationship, how good or bad they are together. And when dialogue moves like music... It's enchanting. One of the best musical writers I've ever witnessed is Aaron Sorkin. His ability to introduce musicality into regular dialogue is unparalleled. Sorkin studied musical theater in college, and when you listen to his work, that influence is readily apparent. Here's a little bit from the season two episode of the West Wing, In the Shadow of Two Gunmen, when Toby is in a bar talking to a woman.
1: I didn't even know Bartlett was running. Yeah, we keep that secret pretty good. You know, he's speaking at the VFW Hall tonight. You should come. I'm not very political. I'll be free, chicken. You've been uh um what you call it? Professional political operative. You've been one your whole life. Well, there was a while there. I was in elementary school. <laughs> You're any good at it? I'm very good at it. What's your record? My record? How many elections have you won? Altogether. Including city council, two congressional races, Senate race, gubernatorial campaign, and a national campaign. None. None of them?
0: You could hear the dance there, couldn't you? The back and forth, the quick movement, the meaningful pauses, the rhythm. When I say dialogue is a dance, that's what I'm talking about. All right, that's it for today. If you have questions about how story works, call 302 643 CHIP. That's 302 643 2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Dynrich Rich or at chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works is a free college-level course in narrative theory and is entirely supported by listener donations. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep it in production and gain access to exclusive Chipperish content and a community of smart people who love stories. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.